Our reading from the Gospel comes from the early part of Luke and it is Jesus meeting with uh, some fishermen who will become his disciples. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night long. But I've caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who are partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Luke's gospel meeting with disciples begins just like John's. We had a couple of weeks ago the story of the wedding feast at Cana. Sort of follows the same pattern. Normal life is going on. A wedding. People fishing. Something goes wrong. They run out of wine at the wedding. They don't catch any fish at all. Which is a big deal. Because that means deprivation. It means the loss of honour and standing in the community if you run out of wine at a wedding. And you can't eat if you can't catch fish. And then, in both stories, Jesus does something. Well, mostly he just sort of speaks. And then, there's way more than enough. There's more wine, and it's better quality, in the story at the wedding of Cana. And there's more fish than two boats can handle, or just about more than they can handle. It's a great story. They're both great stories. It's not how my life goes. Don't know about yours. I live a normal life and then something goes wrong as it always does and sometimes it gets better after the thing that goes wrong and sometimes it gets worse but I don't experience a miracle. In fact we don't live in a miraculous world not the kind of miracle that they're talking about I mean we say each week in various ways that the entire fact that we're alive is a miracle but this is a kind of interventionist sort of miracle 
We don't live in a world where we think that the divine will break into our lives and do something, either good or bad. Millions of people in the world do, and millions of people in the world have until the rise of the Enlightenment and rationalism and all the things that we know have helped build our world. But the idea that the world is intimately controlled by the gods, and if you do the wrong thing, you'll be struck by lightning or a loss of fish. And if you do the right thing, you'll become rich and abundant. We're not so keen on that kind of world. We don't live like that. That's not how we think about the world. So what could we take from a story like this? It's not to say that the, another way of living in the world where the, the, the gods or God is intimately involved and makes the rain fall or the droughts come, that is a way of living in the world. It's just not the way we've learnt to live. So what do we do with it? it? Did it just happen such a long time ago that we can sort of treat it as a bit of a, a quaint story or... Do we, it's not right to ask the question, did it factually happen like this? Because the people who wrote this stuff down weren't interested in telling us 2,000 years later in a different culture the facts of an event. What they wanted you to know was the truth of it. It's been described over and over again that a myth is not something that never happened, but something that happens over and over again continually. The story of, so the great stories of the world, whether they're from the Bible or from Shakespeare or from Aesop's fables or wherever you take them from, they're only true in the fact that they point to something, oh yeah, this is, this happens all the time. This is what always happens in life. So is this story true? Well, in the sense that it's a story about people just trying to get by, who fail to get by, yeah, it's true. We all do that. Fish is the, fishing is the kind of thing that you've got to keep doing over and over again. Our lives are the sort of thing you've just got to keep doing. You've got to keep showing up. Eventually, you've got to get out of bed. And you've got to do something. And one of the great tragedies of our culture is that we built it around the idea of the job. And if you don't have a job, it's hard to figure out who you are as a person. And it's very hard to get out of bed. And there's no point yelling at people who are unemployed and saying, come on, pull yourself together. Particularly if you've applied for 15 jobs in the last three weeks and got not even a response that they know you've applied. You try getting out of bed. It's not very easy. So it's true so far. But then this life-changing event happens. Something out of the ordinary appears. And of course, this happens to us all the time. An event out of the ordinary, a new person comes into our life, an acquaintance, who could possibly be a friend if we're able to find the time to find ways of interacting. Or we get suddenly a gift of forgiveness when we didn't really deserve it. We screwed something up, we did something damaging, and yet that person gives us a great gift of forgiveness. It is an event out of the ordinary. So... These things do happen to us. We get a gift of a compliment. You know that thing you did last week? You, did, you just did it so well. It was so gently done or so well crafted or so well thought about. Now, if you're like a good Westerner, you're supposed to go, oh, that was nothing really. No, don't, don't, please don't. Because we don't know what to do with a gift like that. 
We don't, not even sure whether we want it to be true because then we actually turn out to be more extraordinary than we're willing to let ourselves believe we are. So we get these kinds of things happening all the time. You know that old saying, yesterday we call history and tomorrow we know is, is a mystery. And, but today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. I don't know who said that, but I've always loved it. Because, yeah, that's a, why do we call it the present? Because it's a gift. That's good enough for me. So what if it's true that far as well? What if it is true that we keep getting given gifts all the time? Abundance all the time, but we kind of miss it. We get a sunset every night. Most times I don't even bother to look. But when I do, I realise, oh wait, this gift has been there every night of my life. In fact, it's been there since the earth was formed. So how does Peter respond? Well, he gathers up the fish and he gives it to all the people around him and he says, let's have a feast. Look what we... No, he doesn't. He says, get away. I'm a sinful man. I know who I am. I don't belong here. Now, people do respond to it with a party later. There's a story later in, the, in this gospel where a woman finds a lost coin, which was a big deal. And she spends money and has a party. There's a man who had a lost son who comes back and he throws the party. So some people get it, but this time, at this moment, Peter, not so much. He pushes the gift away. He already knows enough about the way the world is that he doesn't belong as a person who receives a gift. Because he says, I'm a sinful man. And what does it mean to be a sinner? Well, the traditional understanding of it that goes right back to the very beginning, the great story at the very beginning of everything in, in our culture is the story of a garden, isn't it? And the primary meaning of sin is to be outside the garden, which, if you know the story, is exactly what happens to the two people. What, we, uh, what the story says to the very first human beings, the man called Adam or Adam, which is meaning uh, earth, the man of earth, and the woman, which uh, Eve means coming out of Adam. So these are, these are names. We've given them names, but they're not actually names. They're just descriptors of the very first people. This is how the world begins. The world begins in a garden, but sin is being outside. Adam and Eve, in a sense, banish themselves. They take out themselves outside the garden. So to be a sinner is to be outside of the way the world truly is meant to be. And, and then, of course, when we use the word God, we're always talking about the one universal truth of everything. The one universal reality. And we use terms like God. We don't know exactly what we mean because we can't encompass all of reality. But to sin is to live outside of the one universal reality, the interconnectedness of everything. To live as if you know that all that is, is what you can understand, is in this, to use this language, is sin. To live as if everything is contained only in you and nothing else. To, to live as if you already know everything there is to know. 
Gregory of Nyssa said, sin is the decision or the refusal to keep growing. Sin is the refusal to keep growing. It's a much bigger thing than, you know, oh, you did the wrong thing here or you did the wrong thing there. It's not a list of things you've done wrong. It's just a whole way of being in the world that misses the truth of it. Peter's outside of it. So when he gets a glimpse of a different kind of world, the world as it truly is, a world of abundance, the world of billions of stars, the world of hundreds and hundreds of species of birds, the world of variety and uniqueness in this room here and across the planet amongst human beings. He pushes it away. He's much more comfortable with, not a gift, but you get only what you earn. There's no such thing as a free lunch. I don't know if you've followed the conversation that's been growing over the last 20 years about something called the universal basic income. It's the idea that every person would be, by virtue of the fact that they're alive, would receive a basic income that allows them to keep body and soul together and then they could get work and earn more or, or, or whatever, but that everyone deserves that. And it's been discussed in lots of different places um, and in lots of academies. The United Nations has done a lot of work on it in the last 15 years because partly it's because what are we going to do when we no longer need people, as we're discovering, to do the sorts of things we used to do, need people to do, that are being done by machines and being automated? What if a job is not the only thing the world has, has to offer? And the problem with the universal basic income is sort of kind of deep inside us, the idea of, Something for nothing? How can, how can people, are we all just going to lie around doing nothing? Are we going to get lazy? Are we going to get immoral? Are we going to sort of fall apart? There must be something wrong with receiving something without working hard and grafting. You can read it in all of the responses. Now, I'm not convinced that the universal basic income or the models that have been put out are going to be a panacea and how we pay for them, all that sort of thing. But there's a kind of gut underlying reaction that you can read in a lot of the responses. It just feels wrong. It feels immoral because life is about hard work. But, of course, it's not. Life is still a gift. Yes, you do have to work and many of us have worked very hard and many of the people who have come before us have worked harder than we would ever be able to imagine. People without access to the things that we've had who've managed to create living human beings and, and to bec who become great adults and, and then we've come along. But at the essence, it's a gift. At the essence, it's been given to us. And it's a different way of understanding the world. And Jesus gets this. Because when Peter says, go away, Jesus doesn't go away, he ignores him. I think because we see Jesus as representing, in these stories, as God, we see Jesus as representing, if we mean by God, the universal reality of all things. Well, you can't go away. It's like on a humid day, as we've had recently, you ask the air to go away because it's too humid. Well, you can if you want, but it won't, and you won't last if it does. It's just absurd. So I think Jesus doesn't say anything, he just, just basically ignores Peter. 
Because it's such an absurd thing to say. To, the, for the gift of life to go away. It's a great tragedy, of course, of those among us who consider, and those of us who have, decided to end our lives by our own hand. Going away from the gift of life. This is a story about the good life. It's a story about the possibility of living in the world full of abundance. The fish, fishing's a really good thing because they didn't have refrigeration. So if you catch two huge boatfuls of fish, there's only one thing you can do. You can do a little bit of smoking, but there's not that much wood. You just got to eat it and you've got to give it to people. I've been through a number of hurricanes when I lived in the United States. And when a hurricane comes, everybody knows we're going to have no power for a week. Uh, when Hurricane Katrina hit near where I was, it was three weeks before we got power. So what did we do? We emptied out all the freezers. We took all the stuff onto the front lawn, all our neighbours. We had a big barbecue and we ate as much as we possibly could. It's a very humid part of the world, so nothing's going to last. There's no way of keeping it. So we just invited anybody we could find... And we ate everything that we could possibly cook. Or, and, and it was a great feast. That's the sort of thing you have to do with fish. It's like the manna in the wilderness. The story that we get from the ancient story. When Moses and the people in the wilderness and God provides manna, which some, some sort of bread type substance just appears every day. And then it disappears. And, you can't, and if you try and keep it, it just disappears. It's rubbish at the end of the day. The next day you have to do more because it's the gift and you have to collect it. And Jesus finally says, don't be afraid, which is said oh, so many times in Luke's Gospel. And you only tell people not to be afraid when they're afraid. You know, if you're sitting around watching television, drinking tea, no one says, don't be afraid. You're only afraid when you're out in the middle of things that you don't understand and you're not sure of. But Jesus says, don't be afraid, because now, from now on, you're going to be catching people, not fish. Which, of course, is what an economy should be for. They're not, it's not fishing that's going on here. It's subsistence economy. The reason they fish is to eat, not because they love fishing. That's the only thing they can do. And there's all kinds of problems which we won't go into. They didn't own the lake, for example. It was owned by the Romans. You had to buy a license to fish. It's a terrible time. You lost probably, most historians think, about 40% of your catch to the tax for the license that you owned. And it got worse and worse from there. I think Jesus is saying what the economy should be about is not just fishing and day-to-day subsistence, but building community. The whole point of the money that comes in is to build community. And if it's not building community, then it's just me grabbing for myself and you grabbing for yourself. And then I'm going to have to build a safe. And then I'm going to have to build a wall around the safe. Then I'm going to have to build a wall around me. And it goes nowhere. Oh, I'm just, I have to, we have to stop here because otherwise I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> and I think that's where the story ends up. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be involved in building community. And community is the great gift to all of us, all the time. Amen. Thanks, Matthew.